Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Docebo Inc. Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Call. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will open the lines for a Q&A session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time for research analysts to ask questions. We ask that analysts please limit themselves to two questions and return to the queue for any follow-ups. I'd now like to turn the call over to Docebo's Investor Relations, Dennis Fong. Please go ahead, Dennis. Thank you, Operator. Before we begin, Docebo would like to remind listeners that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the company's views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statement. For more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions related to the forward-looking statements, please refer to Docebo's public filings, which are available on CDAR and EDGAR. During the call, we will reference certain non-IFRS financial measures. Although we believe these measures provide useful supplemental information about our financial performance, they're not recognized measures and do not have standardized meetings under IFRS. Please see our MDMA for additional information regarding our non-IFRS financial measures including for reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. Please note that unless otherwise stated, all references to any financial figures are in U.S. dollars. Now I'd like to turn the call over to Dojebo CEO, Claudia Erba. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our second quarter 2021 earning call. With me today is Ian Kitson, our Chief Financial Officer, and Alessio Artufo, our President and Chief Revenue Officer. The strong momentum that we demonstrated in the first quarter continued through the second quarter and, in fact, began to accelerate, resulting in our second consecutive quarter of record revenue and ARR growth. For the last two years, we have consistently stated that enterprises are investing in the Cebo platform for strategic reasons and not out of short-term requirement that would reverse once we recover from the pandemic. The truth in this statement has been clearly demonstrated in our performance over the past six months. Further, we continue to believe the long-term adoption trend for digital learning tools like ours is accelerating, and we expect this will contribute to our future success. Unlike a traditional LMS, that is specifically designed for use in NHR environment for employees, soft skills training and compliance, our customers are using Docebo as a productivity enablement tool across a wide range of use cases, from internal upskilling to sales enablement, and importantly, as a tool to strengthen relationships with customers and partners through online training. These has been a fundamental differentiator for us that also significantly expand our total addressable market and potential ACV. The rate of our customer growth and size of our ACV 
continued to increase as more and more organizations became aware that a platform like Ducebo exists. In the second quarter, we added 152 net new customers, including some great new logos that exemplify the traction we are getting across many industry verticals. One great example is Remax, the leading global real estate franchisor. Remax selected Docebo as their learning solution to grow user adoption, address user management need, and create a custom dashboard for their use cases. With Docebo, Remax will be able to service a rapidly growing user base and create impactful learner experiences. We are also seeing business pick up in industry verticals that are recovering from the pandemic and adjusting to the new normal sector like retail, travel, and manufacturing. In the second quarter, Lululemon, the world-leading athletic apparel retail, selected Docebo to provide a comprehensive learning solution to train and engage their employees around the globe. We also added three new logos in the travel industry, including the Red Roof Inn. Red Roof is an award-winning leader in the lodging industry with more than 650 properties in U.S., Brazil, and Japan. Red Roof selected Docebo as their learning suite to enhance the internal customer experience. With a simple signal process, organization of content, mobile accessibility, automated reporting, and more, Docebo allows Red Roof to allocate more of its resources to the development and delivery of content versus spending excessive hours managing the platform. We added Geldven, a leading global manufacturer of high-performance interior and exterior building products. Geldven employs approximately 21,000 people and has manufacturing distribution and showroom locations across the U.S., and 24 countries. They selected Docebo to consolidate their learning system to deliver worldwide learning, instructor-led training, and the combination of course and micro-learning for ongoing professional development. Most of you will recall that last quarter we talked about the launch of Docebo Learning Suite, which was an important milestone for us. At the end of the first quarter, we started selling Docebo Learning Impact, and we launched Docebo Shape, our AI-powered content authoring tool, as a free trial. Shape is now transitioning out of the trial phase, and we are selling it to customers. In addition, Docebo Analytics, our most recent product launch, will also begin to sell by the end of the third quarter. We are still very early with the launch of the learning suite, but I'm happy to share that we have already pre-sold licenses to each of these new products even ahead of some of the official releases. Although learning impact is not expected to be a material contributor for several quarters, we are pleased with the traction so far, and we were able to sign several new customers. One of those new customers was an upsell to SkinCeutical, who has been the Chebo customer since 2018. After finding great success, launching their training platform to their internal team, clients and global partner distribution network, SkinCeutical will be expanding their agreement with Docebo to include learning impact. Our new learning suite products are designed to be both integrated with our LMS or sold as a standalone product. In the second quarter, 
Total Energies, a leading French multinational integrated oil, gas, and new energies company, selected Docebo to help measure and improve the effectiveness of their learning programs with Docebo Learning Impact. We are happy to have one of the largest companies in Europe select one of our new learning suite products in a use case working alongside another LMS. It also serves as a testament to our expanding French operations. With the development of these new products, we are also investing to advance the customer experience. In the second quarter, we were pleased to launch our new Docebo community. Docebo community enables customers to connect with other customer partners and Docebo experts to share best practice, get answers, and find inspiration to get the most out of their Docebo experience, all while leveling up their skill and opening career options. It allows our product team to prioritize requests based on customer feedback, and this is a centralized place for our growing base of customers around the world to network, collaborate, and grow. The growing our partner business is also beginning to accelerate as more partners come on board as the potential market is broader than just the HCM world. Since we last spoke in May, we have had the four OEM partnerships that further demonstrate the breadth of opportunity we have to expand our geographic reach and address different pockets of the enterprise market. We are working with a leading multinational IT consulting service firm to develop a managed service based on the Ducebo LMS. This, that will be offered to their global customer base. We signed a partnership agreement with Collabori to develop and offer a unique software and service solution for learning technology in Brazil and South America. Brazil is by far the largest market in South America for corporate training, and Collabori local and strategy technology expertise makes them an ideal partner to continue our global expansion in what is a new and untapped market for us. We signed an OEM agreement with WorkSpan, a business management platform that helps technology companies manage and maximize the value of their partner ecosystem. These new partners embed Docebo market-leading learning management services natively in WorkSpan, allowing enterprise organizations to seamlessly roll out new partner programs to the thousands of partners in the WorkSpan network. We also signed an OEM partnership agreement with Orchestrate HR, an HR technology and consulting company with over 5,000 customers and offices in 13 states. We now have more OEM that are outside of the HRM space than OEM that are in it, proving that the opportunity to embed learning technology in enterprise environment is universal. Lastly, I want to speak about the investment we are making to position Docebo for our next phase of growth. Today, we have over 630 people in our organization, and since the third quarter of last year, we have increased our headcount by more than 50%. This growth has been critical to accommodate the increase in revenue we have experienced over the past year, and the growth we expect over the next 18 months. Managing such rapid organic change is not easy, but it is something we continue to get better at, and we think this is being reflected by the consistency of our results. Hiring great and talented people is paramount to our success, and we are adding transformational leaders to help set the foundation for our next phase of growth. Last week, we were pleased to announce the appointment of Rudy Valdez 
as our new COO. Rudy spent the past 16 years at Amazon AWS, where he helped to establish and build their sales and business development function at AWS, working closely with their largest cloud customer through the transformational growth years. More recently, he led the development of the AWS training and certification programs, helping to educate millions of customers and partners in the AWS ecosystem on cloud technologies and approaches. With the Rudy appointment, we will be able to move Martino Bagini into the newly former role of Chief Corporate Development Officer. Before joining the table, Martino had a background in venture capital, and this will allow us to put greater emphasis and focus on advancing and executing our M&A strategy as another growth vector of the table. Before I pass the call to Ian, I want to touch on a topic that is very important to me and to our board, and that is ESG. We understand our responsibility as a global technology company to make a positive impact on our employees and customers that we touch. We have a number of programs in place. For example, two of our six offices have transitioned to 100% renewable energy. We work and support a number of organizations that promote diversity and inclusion and to reduce the gender gap in technology. This year, before Congress announced its historic decision, Docebo made Juneteenth an official holiday and encouraged our employees to take the day to learn more about this historic milestone and to reflect on the past so we can build a better future of tomorrow. We care about our external impact, but it is the health and well-being of our employees that is critical to our success. We have a family-focused culture and want to make Docebo a destination of choice for employees and career growth. Many of our HR policies extend well beyond the statutory requirement. For example, we provide supplemental benefit and pay for U.S. employees on maternity leave at 100% of gross wages for up to 20 weeks and for paternity leave at 85% gross wages for up to 12 weeks. We understand that our stakeholders, including our investors, care about the impact we have on our employees, customers, and the rest of the world. This year, under the direction of the board, we have engaged an experienced consultant to help advise and embed best ESG practices into our business. And we look forward to more formally reporting to you on our ESG achievement in the future. With that, I will now pass the call to Ian to speak to the financials. Thank you, Claudio, and good morning, everyone. For those interested in a detailed breakdown of our financial results for the three and six months ended June 30th, 2021, can be found in our press release, MD&A and financial statements, which are now available on our website and are also filed on CDAR and EDGAR. The slide deck accompanying this earnings call was made available on our investor relations website this morning. For those who want to follow along, I'm gonna start my remarks on slide three. The strong momentum that we demonstrated in the first quarter carried over nicely into our second quarter with total revenue for the period growing to $25.6 million, an increase of 76% from the prior year. Subscription revenues also grew 76% from the prior year and were $23.6 million, representing 92% of total revenue for the quarter. Professional services revenue in the second quarter was $2 million even, an increase of 75% from the prior year period. 
As we noted in our press release, this quarter's results included $1.1 million of revenue resulting from a one-time catch-up related to a customer contract signed in 2020. IFRS accounting rules did not allow us to begin formally recognizing this revenue until this quarter. This contract was an unusual situation and we currently do not have any other such agreements. Excluding this catch-up amount, our revenue growth was 69% over the prior year and we're very pleased with this rate of increase. Furthermore, as we look forward, all signs support our confidence in continued momentum over the, over the foreseeable future. The acceleration in our business becomes apparent when you consider the net growth in our quarterly ARRs, as shown on slide four. We achieved $93.4 million in ARR at the end of the second quarter, an increase of 64% over the $57 million in ARR at the end of the second quarter of 2020. When compared to the first quarter of 2021, we added 10.0 million in revenue, sorry, in ARR in the most recent quarter, an increase from the 9.4 million in ARR that we added in the first quarter. Importantly, there were no large deals driving our ARR growth this quarter, and it supports our contention over the past year that there is a growing awareness of the applicability of the Docebo platform to both internal and external departmental learning objectives. We had 2,485 customers at the end of the second quarter and our company-wide average contract value or ACV increased to approximately $38,000, up 27% from 30,000 at the end of the second quarter of 2020. The ACV from our new customers added this quarter was approximately $46,000, and nearly 78% of our new logo and upsell contracts are now multi-year deals. Moving to slide five, you can see gross profit margin for the second quarter was at 80% of sales, flat compared to the prior year period, and a slight decline from 82% for the first quarter. The decline in gross profit margin was due to a significant investments that we have continued to make in staffing to support the increased volume and complexity for the implementation team as we adapt to become a multi-product vendor, as well as costs related to new seller arrangements. I remain comfortable with our longer term gross margin targets being within the 82 to 85% range and we expect to get back to those levels over the next two to three quarters. On slide six, you can see a summary of our operating expense lines. Total operating expenses for the second quarter increased to 26.8 million as compared to 14.9 million for the prior year. Included in the 26.8 million of operating expenses is a foreign exchange loss of 3.2 million that relates primarily to the cash on our balance sheet and is therefore for the most part unrealized. Operating costs excluding this foreign exchange loss were 23.6 million, slightly higher than the 21.5 that we reported on a comparable basis in the first quarter of this year. G&A expense of 6.9 million declined as a percentage of revenue 
from 34.2 in the first quarter to 27% for the second quarter as we resume being able to realize benefits of increased scale on the revenue side. When compared to the first quarter, sales and marketing expense declined as a percentage of revenue to 40.8% as compared to 41.9% for the first quarter. R&D expense increased slightly in the second quarter as a percentage of revenue to 20.4% as compared to 19.1% for the first quarter. Our medium-term expectation for sales and marketing expense as a percentage of total revenue remains unchanged at 35 to 40%, and our R&D expenditures continue to remain near our expectations of 20% of revenue. We reported an adjusted EBITDA loss of $2 million for the second quarter, compared to a loss of $0.9 million in the prior year period. We also reported a net loss of $7.2 million for the second quarter, compared to a $3.5 million net loss for the prior year period. As already noted, please recall that the net loss for the second quarter does reflect the $3.2 million foreign exchange loss. Finally, free cash flow margin was negative $0.8 million in the second quarter, and our balance sheet remains healthy with net cash and cash equivalents of $216 million. Going forward, our primary focus will be to continue to drive our growth but we're finally getting to the point where we expect to begin to realize greater benefits from our scale. We will likely take a breather in our expansion in the third quarter as we start thinking about our hiring plans for next year and our hiring will resume later in the fourth quarter as we enter 2022. At the same time, I want to, I want to reiterate that I don't see anything in the near to medium term that would suggest the strong momentum we've been seeing in our sales pipeline and reflecting in our ARR performance has materially changed. We have multiple growth levers that are all tracking well, including new logo sales, upsells, and cross-sells, and OEM partnership revenue. In the coming quarters, likely Q4 this year or, or the first quarter next, we expect to have more specific information to share on the progress of our new products, and we will look forward to doing so. With that, I'll turn it over to the operator now to take some questions from the analysts. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. We do ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up and return to the queue. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Robert Young with Canaccord. Please go ahead. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Hi, good morning. Um, I wanted to dig into your statement that there's no large deals in the quarter. Uh, it's a singles and doubles quarter, uh, but you announced a number of impressive uh, logos like Lululemon, Remax. And so I'm just trying to, is there any way to sort of uh, dig into that statement a little more? What does a large deal mean? Um, because it, I think it's important to understand just on the pace of incremental ARR you're able to add each quarter, you know, what the influence of these large deals is. So any other detail there would be helpful. Yeah, uh, ciao Rob, can you hear me Claudia speaking? Rob, can you hear me? Yes. Oh yeah, um, great to meet you again. Um, so uh, this, this quarter is the quarter which I like to define very healthy because there are not outliers. It's uh, all logo, the logo we love in terms of size, it's our sweet spot and it's proving that we are continuously growing organically and consistently. This is from uh, an, you know, a quarter framework perspective. I leave uh, to Ian uh, to detail uh, the size of the logos and, and the deals, actually. Sure. Um, so, Rob, when, when, when I think about an outlier, I think about a contract that is, uh, is like a million dollars plus. And this quarter, uh, we didn't have a contract that was anything larger than half a million dollars. Uh, and we had, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lesio, but I think it was like four, four or five that were hundreds of thousands of dollars, which, uh, as, as Claudio said, you know, that, that's right down the middle of the fairway for, for us, and it's the kind of transaction that we love to do. Okay, that's really helpful. Agreed. And then, thanks, Alessio. And then the... Um, do any large deals that you've talked about in the release fall into Q3? Like Remax was after the end of the quarter with 80,000 users. That seems like a larger deal to me. Does anything fall out of the quarter? I'm not sure what, you, what, 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 what when you say. Like, would anything have been? Would anything be driving ARR in the Q3 rather than the Q2? No. No, and any transactions that we've talked about have been have been signed in Q3. Okay. Uh, sorry, 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 uh, sorry, sorry. Q2, Q2. Correct. And and so, are, do you expect a larger deals in the back half of the year? Is uh, Q2 just a slower quarter um, for large deals? If, if well, I, I mean, the, look, we we are always working on 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 large transactions, but they can take six months to, to two or three years to close, right? And uh, that's why when we look at the health of our business, we're focused on, on what I would characterize as the, um, I, I hate this word, but, but, but I'll say smaller transactions because obviously th those are significant. But, but let, me, let me pass it to Alessio to, to, to try to give you a, um, uh, a more yeah, coherent answer. Sorry, one, one second. One second. I want, I want to, uh, to push back a little bit on Rob's uh, definition of slow quarter. Uh, Rob, it's funny. What you define slow quarter for me is a healthy quarter. I know that people like big checks. But for me, it's, it's more healthy. 
in terms of approving the performance of the sales machine and marketing machine and the, and the organization itself to sign 10 contracts that together is are 1 million, then one contract that is 1 million. You cannot forecast your growth on outliers. You need to, you need to grow and to forecast your performance on consistency. So, I mean, 60-something percent. I mean, I'm very happy that you are so used to our great performance to define a slow quarter this quarter. Okay, that's all great, Corey. Hey, 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 Rob, and, and, just, and just to seal this for a second, we're actually really happy about the numbers uh, at each and every segment level. You know, we, we spoke about this multiple times. We are looking at the market for our small, smaller and medium-sized customers, our medium and large-sized customers, and our large customers. We're not in the business of um, necessarily of doing the big peel up front. We're in the business of long-term value. We're in the business of customer experience. Uh, we're in the business of building long-term relationship with customers and upselling them. So we're totally happy starting, uh, you know, with a few hundred thousand dollars and growing relationships later on in the millions, rather than starting with, say, the big bank and, uh, and uh, um, having to realize value immediately, which is harder than done over time. Okay, thanks. That, that's all really good. Maybe second question would just be related to the expansion component. Um, it sounds like that's more balanced. Last quarter, you know, the, ex the expansion of existing customers seemed to be driven by one large deal with the QSR. And so is that getting more balanced? Is there a positive trend to highlight there around, you know, growth with existing customers? And then I'll pass the line. It, it is balanced, uh, and it is according to design and according to plan. Uh, the introduction of the new products uh, is uh, supporting our not only uh, strategy, but really philosophy about creating long-lasting value for customers. So we started selling the Chevrolet Learning Impact, and we're excited about the results we're getting out of it. Um, it's very, very, very early days for shape and analytics, but the signals uh, that are early stage pipeline are all good and positive. Um, for sure, there's a lot of work to do on uh, structuring our sales machine that was very focused on LMS only to now selling a learning suite. I will not deny to you, there's, a, there's change management to do, and this takes time, but we're really excited about, about what's ahead. Okay, thanks a lot. I'll pass on. Your next question comes from Stephanie Price with CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. I wanted to dig into the, the OEM strategy a little bit more here. Just curious if you can give us an update on the MHR OEM agreement and, and whether you're seeing a similar ramp up to what you saw with Ceridian once it was implemented. Hi, Stephanie, um, and good morning back to you. Um, the question about MHR and Ceridian, um, the, these partners are the ones that are also been for the longest time active with us. For sure, Ceridian way longer than MHR. Those two relationships uh, uh, continue to be very strong. The results and the performance are according to the plan established with the firms. And um, we expect the following, that um, our integration capabilities with their product continue to get better and expand. And as a result, we're going to create incremental value at an accelerated pace. Um, at this point, uh, Ceridian and MHR constitute the large majority of our OEM revenue. 
but uh, as you have seen uh, in the press release, uh, we are uh, quite consistently adding uh, new partners uh, in different categories, not only HR, uh, like Ceridian and MHR and Orchestrate, and we believe that a mixed strategy in which we will uh, add Docebo as a productivity enablement technology to companies like Workspan and, uh, and others. We also have mentioned the silent logo, I'm sure you guys have seen it, of a relevant system integrator that is going to use Docebo for a managed services practice. We believe that um, the, the channel business of OEM is, uh, is really powerful for us. I hope that answers, Stephanie. That does, thank you. And, and maybe just a follow-up to that, just curious around what areas outside of the HRM space that you're, you're kind of focused on. It sounds like the systems integrators and, and IT services are focused, but how do you kind of see that strategy rolling out going forward? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're working on this actively. We actually have a vision where, uh, you know, we, we view the OEM business really in terms of territories and, uh, and industries and verticals. And we can approach all these markets with a different value proposition depending on what these vendors need to accomplish in their respective industry. Uh, with that in mind, we've seen increased interest in the SI space. Uh, we've seen a lot of interest in, uh, in other um, uh, markets that are not HR, like risk, uh, for example. We've signed Bartopia. Uh, and, uh, and Workspan that are in the business of helping companies leverage partners. Um, we, we really believe that the future is really bright there. And, and I think as we mature, those industries and categories in, in, in the future will be able to be even more, uh, if you will, uh, uh, clear as to what uh, uh, segments and industries are, uh, we're seeing more traction. Great, thanks so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Your next question comes from Richard Tay with National Bank. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you. So you had some really impressive wins here. Just wondering if you maybe give us a bit of color in terms of these wins. Are they competitive displacements or you know something else here? Um, are you going to take it? Sure, sure, sure. And and thank you for the question on on displacement replacement. Uh, look. We, we've said in the past that essentially when we win business from somebody, there are really three categories that we see are more prevalent. The first one is, um, is replacement from tier one, I would say light point LMS solutions. These are those vendors that perhaps are in the earlier stages of the experience of the customer with the learning suite or a learning platform. They usually are outgrown within a certain amount of time. Um, the second category, and we see this category more in the smaller and mid-sized companies, it's homegrown solutions. Oftentimes we displace customization on top of open source software or SharePoint or other artifacts that use the deliver learning. This is true in certain industries and generally, broadly speaking, in the, in the mid-market. In the enterprise market, uh, I mean, we're, we're displacing enterprise competitors. That's the reality. Customers that, that we speak to are looking for, for better customer experience. They're looking for better software, for software that is more flexible. And they're looking for focus on learning. And 
and we're winning business from companies that perhaps have a focus that is not just on learning, but on talent, and, and these enterprises see value in partnering with Ocebo. Okay, super helpful, thanks. And then in terms of the partnerships, like there's a notable increase in partnerships, you know, across the board, you know, SIs and OEMs. So given that you've had the growth rate you've had up until now without sort of this meaningful scale up in partnerships, is it fair to say that as we look out maybe 12 months from now, we're actually going to see a step function up in terms of an accelerating growth profile because of those partnerships? Um, so Claudio speaking. Um... I think, I mean, it's a, it's a correct statement saying that the more partners we onboard, the more partners uh, we bring value in the future. I don't know uh, when this will happen. We, we have some benchmark with MHR, with Ceridian. Uh, uh, this can happen in nine months or in, I don't know, 15 months. Um, and another point is that we hope that every partner will be extremely successful, but based on the market size of different sector and uh, on uh, the you know, efficiency of the partnership, some partner will perform better than other partners. So that, that said, what makes me happy is the absolute number of the partner, if you remember, in uh, 2019 and 2020, in our first earning call, we had one partner only, and now we have like more than five, six, seven, and uh, the, we are continuously feeding the pipeline of new partners. And we are also evolving the technology to support new partners because not every partner implements the solution for the same use case or in the same way. Um, and uh, sorry, when I, when I start speaking about the product, I go uh, too, too nerd, so sorry, and, and I hope that this makes you happy and satisfied about the answer. That's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Your next question comes from Daniel Chan with TD. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Congrats on the strong quarter. I want to Thanks, dig man. into the I want to dig into the channel partner um uh channel as well. And um you've got a number of partners now that help you address different global opportunities and Ceridian just closed their acquisition of Ascender in March which really builds out their Asia Pac presence. So can you give us an update on what your global expansion strategy is and whether you're going to be leaning on some of these partners to help you get into some of these geographies you're not currently in? And then maybe in addition to that, is your product ready for these new markets or is there still work to be done? Um, so there are, uh, let me child it with you. There are um, no hanging choice in terms of geography. Um, there is, uh, and we, we, we are opening an office in Germany, which will be a direct office. And as you know, Germany is in my backyard, or Germans would say that Italy is in their backyard. Um, there are Nordics, and there is Australia and New Zealand. Those, mar those markets are markets that are friendly to our marketing and communication style. They can digest the way a Western company communicates. 
So if we have to prioritize through partners or directly some geography, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, and Nordics uh, are our uh, top priorities. Um, and probably as a consequence, when you are in Australia and New Zealand, probably it's easy to expand in some other area of Asia Pacific. Um, what I would avoid is, um, you know, with COVID, uh, try to penetrate a market that requires a lot of visits to set up the office, uh, a lot of local networking uh, in order to know, you know, these guys. And this is where a, a, what we call a value-added reseller strategy works very well for us. Um, for sure, if there are partners uh, like Ceridian that are in a specific country, um, we, we think we can support uh, also, you know, countries that are regions that are different from uh, the one that I mentioned, especially because do not forget that Ducebo since probably 10 years support the 32 languages, support uh, uh, the right to left uh, pagination, support uh, non-Western uh, characters like Jewish and uh, Arabic, uh, Chinese, uh, uh, you name it. Um, and, and also, with our cloud capability based on AWS, we can act a lot like a local vendor. I mean, we do have a London region that we have opened to support Brexit uh, when uh, a British company had a data center in Ireland. Uh, we, have, we have one data center in Canada. So basically, thanks to the partnership with AWS uh, and with the technology we have as the end, we can also be friendly from a data perspective, which is an, usually an underestimated point. But I mean, if you don't have a data center in, uh, in the UK, you are not compliant with the UK privacy data. So I think we are ready, we, but we are also pragmatic and we want to prioritize what are the countries that, uh, from our feeling and data and, uh, you know, uh, uh, capacity to communicate, will, 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 will have more chance to be successful. That's very helpful. Thank you. I also want to dig in on the ACV growth. I mean, that, that was a really good metric, too. Is, is that mostly being driven by new modules, more seats, or a combination of the two? Thank you. It's, it's, sorry, Alessio, do you want me to take that? Sure. Um, it, it's, it's not being driven by, by more seats and it's, it's, it's a, a combination really of larger use cases driving larger uh, annual ARRs embedded in the contracts. And in the future, and, and today I would say that's like 90% of it. Um, going forward, you know, we obviously hope that that upsells are going to contribute a, a larger proportion of that. Um, and uh, what we saw this quarter would certainly support that view. Your next question comes from Philip Latis with Berenberg Capital. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, just based on your prepared remarks, it sounds like you hinted that M&A would become a bigger part of your strategy for the company going forward. 
Can you give us some color on maybe what kind of M&A targets or assets would be of interest? Yeah, um, it's Claudio speaking. If you know my mantra, my mantra is I don't want to make mistakes. So uh, that uh, the, the fact that my my real buddy uh, Martino, which worked with me as a CEO, is now in corporate M&A. The fact that uh, we know each other since 10 years, and the fact that he had a venture capital background makes me optimistic that now that he can focus 100% on opportunities, we will, uh, uh, we, we will, we have a more, uh, you know, capability, capability to assess every opportunity that uh, lands on our desk or we want to pursue proactively. That said, um, there are different opportunities out there, from acquihire to adjacent market to local vendors to expand in specific geographies. Um, and we, we will evaluate everything without the need or the hurry to deploy the capital in an inefficient way. We, wa- we will deploy our capital only if we are, if we are sure that will, there will be a tremendous upside and uh, a great return of investment for our shareholder. That said, what makes me optimistic is that we have executed above our expectation the four matrix integration in the table. When I have seen, you know, um, how my HR team, not my, the HR team, it's not mine, um, the HR team, the finance team, the sales team, the professional services, the IT operation, worked together to integrate another company. And the first integration in our lives was our first acquisition. Uh, inside our ecosystem of people, of culture, of products, this makes me optimistic that the next acquisition uh, will be, I hope, successful as the first one. That's it. We are not in a hurry. We don't want to make mistakes. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. Your next question comes from Nick Agostino with Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning and good afternoon, Claudio. Um, This is Salman on behalf of Nick Agostino. Um, so a few questions from my end. So first of all, it's about the competitive landscape. Um, have you seen any changes lately? Because um, some competitors seem to be returning to the public markets, again, citing high growth in the uh, learning space, e-learning space. Uh, does that signify the strong prospects and thereby strong competition ahead? Um, so the market is still fragmented, though and is not tied only to the learning management system uh, space. I mean, training can happen uh, everywhere now. Uh, Most of the training that is coming is related to performance, to enablement, to experience, uh, and and it's coming from other sources. Um, For the standard competitor, because every company, at the end of the day, needs a a learning manager, a learning ecosystem inside their IT ecosystem. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's made by the same uh, competitors that we usually 
disclose every quarter. The big news was Cornerstone that uh, was taken private. Um, and uh, I, I do like a couple of companies out there, but those are the old, old, uh, old competitors that we see. Okay, that's very helpful. And my second question is uh, about uh, your scaling comments. So earlier you mentioned that the company continues to scale up and increase headcount. So are you facing any headwinds or issues with finding talent, especially tech talent, where there has been a tech crunch uh, lately? Do you see this as a threat-year growth? Um, so talent competition in, in technology is incredible. I mean, everyone needs a software engineer, everyone needs a director of sales, and, and literally every role is, is, is in scarcity mode. Um, if, uh, thinking about the actual employees, if we see any churn from the employees, this is not at the level of red flags. Uh, the, the churn happens in typical uh, you know, departments where uh, usually are high churn. That said, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, inflection is rising, the talent competition is rising, especially when uh, there, there are no any more geographical barriers. I mean, you can hire engineers uh, on, uh, in, in Iceland or in India or wherever you want or in Switzerland, uh, because now being remote is, is, uh, is, is, is a key selling point when you want to hire people. Um, so, yes, as any other company out there, we see a talent competition. Okay, that's very helpful. Thanks again, and congrats on the results. Thank you. Your next question comes from Paul Steep with Scotia Capital. Please go ahead. Great morning. I'll just toss them both in one here. Uh, the first one would be just could you talk a little bit about the go-to-market for upsell or how you've organized the sales force? More importantly, how we think about that timing of in the ramp and revenues, which obviously Ian referred to in the Q4, Q1 update, but just how meaningful would you think that is in terms of contribution and coming on? Second quick follow-up would be on extranet-type deals for Ian. Can you just remind us on the scaling of those versus typical about how we should think about revenue recognition and also the rollout of those? Thanks, guys. Ale, um, uh, we are speaking about how to scale a phase machine. Maybe it's better listen from the guru. Sorry, guys. I was muted. I'm sorry, guys. I was trying. I was talking, and nobody was paying attention to me. Now I realize why. Um, all right. So, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. Um, so, good question on the organization of of the of the account management team and lend and expand strategy. Um, so, first, I'd say. Our goal is to create demand with similar approaches, both in the base and in the greenfield. When we think of the base, we think of the base in, in a couple of different ways. For one, we think of a customer and an organization 
having multiple buyers within the same organization. Practically, what that means is that whenever we sign a company, say Lululemon, uh, which we announced this quarter, we understand that in that same company, there are multiple stakeholders that are receptive of conversations for the Chiba products and services. We can, we can categorize that as a upsell um, uh, activity, which is tasked and assigned and owned by the account manager and part of the account planning exercise that we do. Further to that, there's an additional layer. We look at every organization in a 360 way. We map out not only the internal individuals that may have needs for learning, but we look at the 360 structure of the company in terms of sister companies, affiliated, parent, and we create a, a wider net which we approach with digital marketing, account-based marketing, and targeted strategic marketing with an account development team. Um, that would not be possible or better stated. We would not have positive results if we didn't have strong focus on the customer experience. So we have a CX team that is in charge of the adoption side and making sure that the actual customer is using the software, is um, being helped to go live and not just configured, but that we go from uh, um, soft launch to go live and from go live to real adoption. And so when you do that and you have good account planning strategies and good business development strategies and good demand generation strategies in the base, our addressable market in the base becomes huge. And look, we're, we're relatively, relatively new to this engine. It's not hyper mature. We're working very hard to make it better and better. And, and I think, you know, all the efforts that we're making will pay dividends in the quarter to come. Paul, does that answer the first part of the question? Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you. And and Paul, um, the 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 second part, if you could restate it, because I just wasn't positive what you meant about the extra net revenue. I I guess I'm just referring to organizations. While they might be employees, a number of them are franchise type models, like a a large QSR or real estate type organization, where you presumably have to get the franchise owner on board. Or is this should we think of those wins as embedded in the core franchise fee, so thus you don't have to go and win in hand-to-hand -hand combat each deal? Thank you. Right. So um, specifically with respect to to that type of transaction, correct me if I'm wrong, Alessio, but what I'm uh, all of the ones that we have signed along that line have been. Um, have been fixed up front for an absolute dollar amount. So it's it's not on us to go win the franchise. It's the franchisor deals with their franchisees. Yeah, we implement a framework agreement which then enables the holding to do deals with the franchisees separately. We don't control that. 
Right. There, but but there is an element to your question, Paul, that that I think is 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 really good and really important. And when when we think about the OEM side, um, you know, we we have announced some significant OEM partnerships um, this quarter. Our ARR associated with those relationships today is zero because they are using us to go create a business. How that business unfolds will be, um, you know, yet to be determined, and and we will uh, we will work with them to support the development of that business. So. You know, something like a Ceridian, our ARR with Ceridian uh, isn't isn't a predetermined bucket like it is with a typical customer. We partner with Ceridian and the the ARR grows over time. That's helpful. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Alessio. Ladies and gentlemen, as of... Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press star 1. Your next question comes from Christian Scrow with A-Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. I just wanted to ask one this morning. When you guys think about the direct sales pipeline, where are you seeing interest these days, either geographically or by vertical? What's been strong lately? Hello, Christian. Alessio speaking. Um, we manage pipeline by looking at it, you know, our, our pipeline forensics tell us that our positioning of a, a horizontal player that addresses learning needs across many multiple industries remains unchanged. Now, what we look at is also the constitution of the pipeline in terms of uh, um, average deal size per segment. And what we're seeing is that we have a fairly linear constitution of, of deals. What, what, what that means is we have companies that for each and every commercial segment are in a range and value that is within the expectation for that very segment. Now, we like that linearity because we don't like peaks and valleys that then eventually result in peaks and valleys also on the booking side. Verticals wise, I said we're horizontal and that's true, but strong momentum remains on technology, strong momentum is continues to exist in in manufacturing. It seems an interesting uh, uh, growth and return of demand from hospitality. Uh, we we announced Red Roof, example of that, um, and retail as well. Uh, Lulu is another good example of that. Is continues to perform very strong now. If you look at our pipeline and you take uh, um, the, the top 10 verticals, technology companies, consulting companies, and companies that really leverage the Chebo as a go-to-market technology are the ones that 
make up for the largest amount of ARR uh, or, or value. Um, and, and what's interesting is that we're seeing that ability to turn learning into a leverage or an enablement, uh, a, a productivity technology, is something that makes money, whether it's to retain it or make it, across many verticals. And it used to not be the case. It used to be that SaaS companies used to have academies to retain customers or, or sign new customers. But now we see the same logic applied across dozens of verticals. And, that, and that's fascinating. That's why we think our addressable market, in a way, is huge. That's great, Alessio. Thanks for my question. The answers. That's terrific. Thank you, Christian. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Oh, um, can you hear me, guys? Yes, okay. we can. Um, so I, I, I just, I just want to thank you, um, everyone. Today, I think we, we hit both record, record quarter and record of questions from analysts. So we, we, we performed well in both of them. Uh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here as usual. And uh, let's speak in November, where we hope to do it in person uh, from Toronto. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.